Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. This is a great passage of Scripture. I think we're just going to kind of stay right in in this particular passage, this chapter, um, Jesus uh, praying. So um, he's done some preaching and teaching beforehand, and then as we pick up in uh, the sixth verse of the chapter, um, Jesus starts to pray, and it what and it's not just instruction on on how to pray, and you're know, just kind of giving a format. He he genuinely prays. He prays in you know in some different ways, but he prays for two specific uh, things. He prays for his disciples, the people who are right there with him, the ones you know, the Matthew, Mark, you know, these guys who are who are there, you know, or you know, the, the guys who are with him constantly, living with him, understanding his teachings, seeing the miracles done, serving. Uh, and then the second prayer that he'll pray is for those who are to come, which is you, you and me, the people of God that, who are going to get saved and be a part, you know, generations and decades and, and, you know, in this case, millennia later, the people, and he prays for those and specifically says the ones who are going to, be, to come into the kingdom because of my word that you teach them. So he divides it up into two different ones, and we're going to just kind of uh, pray over it and then uh, read and pray through. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity to, to, uh, to study your word tonight. God, give us some, uh, some new insight, God. Not anything that is, uh, yeah, that is outside your word, but God, give us a greater revelation of what is already inside your word. Change us and challenge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this per- first part of the, uh, of the prayer, Jesus prays for disciples right here that are around him, and then for those who are to come, the posterity, the believers and church people who will come on the scene later after he is gone, and even the disciples, uh, you know, have gone on. And I want you to think of this prayer um, as Jesus prayed it, because it's important for you to pray that way over the people in your life. These are his disciples, the ones who are learning from him, walking with him, and he wants good things for them, right? He wants to bless them. And think of this, if you're a father, think about it that way, as a spiritual father, that you want to bless and you want to pray like Jesus prayed over those who are under. If you're a, a pastor, a teacher, or maybe if you're just that one saved person, you're the one saved person who, uh, who, you, you know, who that one, everybody else knows. Maybe there's a person who's never been here, will never darken the doors of this church perhaps, but you're the one saved person. You're the one saved Christian girl or a Christian guy that they are going to encounter. So think of it as you having a direct spiritual influence over their life because you're the closest thing they know to, to Christianity and to Jesus, right? So that's very important. Think about you praying this over those people who are under your um, spiritual influence. That's what Jesus prayed. He says, Praying to God, this is Jesus praying to the Lord, to to his Father. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. You've given me these guys to minister to, to lead. He says, they were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I am come forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9 says, I pray for them. 
I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus didn't care about worldly things. He didn't care about influence. He didn't care about wealth. He didn't care about people's opinions. He didn't care about the world. He didn't care about Hollywood. He didn't care about land and ownership and and wealth. He cared about the people in the world that were his. Now, he loves all the sinners too, right? And it's his will that they all come to repentance. But he doesn't care about the world or the things of the world. He cares about the people in the world. He says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them through your name, who, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Now, this is a very wordy passage, right? Um, but there's a whole lot of teaching to be done here. This is not just like a, a glimpse or picture of the Trinity. This is a powerful revelation of the triune Godhead. There's a whole, like if you notice the way that he is talking, the way that he is wording things, um, it, is, it is pretty sharp. Like, you know, it's, it's pretty undeniable. He's, he, and he's not saying, boys, this is how you pray. If you're going to pray, do it like this. He's like, oh God. That's how, you know, he's actually demonstrating, in fact, that he is praying to God. And he says, watch me as I do this, but this is reality. This is real. This is how I'm praying for you. And he says, Father, God, you gave me these guys. So he is addressing his father who has given him these, these people to influence. God has given you people to influence, people who are in the world. He's given, at not, not in, to, in ownership, but he's given you the ability to affect change and to bear witness to God's goodness and his grace in their lives. He doesn't just say, you should say, Father. He literally talks to his own father and explains a very clear dynamic. He said, they were yours, you gave them to me. You gave words to me, and I gave the words to these guys. So uh, do we understand that that is a really clear picture of the triune Godhead? You know, it, it God, some people will teach that, uh, that the Holy Spirit and then God the Father and then God the Son are just different hats on the same you know, person. You know, it's, it's just you know, different things, you know, as if uh, you know, uh, you know, Michael is a husband and he is a son to his father, Steve, and he's also a father to his boys, and it's one guy. It's just different, different, different offices that he holds, different responsibilities that he had, different. And the, the some people will teach that they're just different manifestations. You know, God will kind of show up here, but it's, it's exactly the same. And then now he shows up here, and he's wearing something else, and he shows up over here, but it's all the same. That is not addressing the true complexity of who God is. God is tripartite in His existence. Now these three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. It's three parts complete to make up one, the triune God. And it is impossible to explain it perfectly because he's God. Any, anyone who, can, who says they can explain God's holiness to you, if you could, you would be God. If you can understand God's power, if someone says, oh, I can explain God's power to you in detail. No, you couldn't. If anyone says they can explain God's knowledge to you, well, I can tell you what God knows, really. Because the only way to do that is to be God, in fact, right? In the same way, whenever it comes to God's divine nature, we know what is revealed, but we do not understand only in part do we understand. We understand what is revealed, and this is what's revealed. Jesus is having a conversation with God the Father. So that's very important, right? Guess not. 
I won't preach that. Yeah, well, I will preach that. I'll, I'll just do it again until we figure out that it's important to know our doctrine, right? Amen. So, verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. And you know, we're, we're talking about Judas. Um, that the scripture might be f- fulfilled. And now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. They have my joy fulfilled in themselves. That's important. I missed the word my. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Amen. Praise God. There, there are some really important things right there. And we're watching Jesus pray. And this is some pretty, pretty deep stuff. It's not to, you know, necessarily you know, jump up and run around and, and clap type of you know, material, unless you really like doctrine, which we do. Um, but it, it takes a little bit of mining you know, a little bit of uh, you know, giving ourselves over to the learning and to the, you know, into wrestling with Scripture so that we can be challenged and changed. There are three things here that he prays for the disciples. And those things are applicable to the, to the believer today. Now, first of all, what does Jesus want for you? If you, uh, Garrett, if you could pray for three things um, for your children. Just, off, I mean, I'm not going to hold you to it, but right off the top of your head, give me one. Amen. Amen. I mean, you can't. Like, there's nothing more paramount uh, than to know that their eternal, um, you know, destiny will be with Jesus, and that they are saved. Their sins are forgiven. You can't beat that. Steve, what what one thing besides that? We know you would pray that. Now, what else would you pray over Lanny? Good health, health, absolutely. Um, and if health doesn't matter, then Jesus wasted a lot of man hours while he was here healing the sick and, and praying, you know, and, and seeing God do it. Amen. So that 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 is super important. Super important. Um, Casey, what's one more thing that you would pray over your children? Amen. Amen. Dude, I can, I'll preach that. Don't think I won't. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very biblical thing you know, to, to pray over your children, that they would listen to proper instruction. Uh, read Proverbs, right? The, and, and the Song of Solomon. Uh, and, and, and again and again and again, the writer is like, please heed wisdom. Wisdom is, this, is important. It's powerful. It will lead you and guide you and protect you. Listen to experience and wisdom. I'm begging you. At one point, he's just painting these vivid pictures about this young dude who is just uh, you know, falling into trap after trap after vice after problem. And he's saying, please listen to wisdom. Listen to those you know, who God has placed in, in authority and knowledge over your life who want to bless you and help you to avoid the snares and pitfalls of life. That's great. Now, I want to, those are all good. I preach on all those. But this is what Jesus said in this instance. Now, we know we have the Lord's Prayer and there's a whole, whole lot of different things covered, but these particular, the first thing is joy. Hmm. But not just joy. Jesus said, I pray that my joy be manifest in them. Isn't that interesting? That one of the things he prayed over his disciples was for joy. Number two, 
protection. He said, don't take them out of the world. I know, we, I know that's not an option because they're there to do a job. They're, they need to, to manifest the power and the anointing that, you know, that is in me. They need to do what they're doing. This is important. However, protect them from the evil one. How, how many of you, if you have children or, or loved ones, you, you pray a hedge of protection around them. Amen. I pray God's protection be upon them. That's what Jesus prayed over his disciples. He said, God, these guys, Peter and James and John, protect them from the evil one. I know it's not an option to just pull them out of the game, right? You know, it's not an option. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a big kid who keeps just knocking them down. You can't pull them out of the game, but God, protect them. And, and they're here. They're going to face persecution, God, but protect them spiritually above all. I pray protection. Lastly, sanctification, Right? That's, that's a dirty word in, in, you know, in a lot of culture today. Sanctification, which is the denial of our natural flesh selves, the things that we want to do that are not good, that are not healthy, that are sinful. Sanctification takes us away from the flesh and closer to the spirit, closer to doing what is right, what is godly. Sanctify them by your truth. How do we achieve sanctification? Not by any man, not by following you know, what, what a man's opinion is, but by the revelation and the obedience and adherence to the word of God. Amen? Now, Jesus, from this point, will pray for all of us, all believers. And this is where I really, really want to get to tonight because I have a particular burden. I wanted to build a, uh, a little bit of a, of a framework and a platform um, so that I could deliver the word effectively and you know, in concert with Scripture. And Jesus now looks away from all of the disciples, you know, people who have been dead for, at this point, thousands of years. And now he looks at us. Now, in his mind's eye, are you and you and me. Jesus switches gears and begins to pray. And do you want to know what Jesus prayed for New Life Church? What Jesus prayed for you, for Chelsea, for Amy, for Sandy, for every single one, for Bob, for everyone, for Josh. This is what Jesus prayed specifically for us, and I believe it is a very timely thing. Jesus says this, and I'll do that to give you a better visual. He said, I do not pray for these alone, but also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you. Can we see that Trinitarian doctrine shining forth? That they also may be one in us and the world may believe that you sent me. That's important. How does the world know that God really sent Jesus? It's not just through you know, miraculous miracles or tall cathedrals or, or fiery you know, you know, preaching that is... a. You know, that, that is tickling to men's ears and just, and just pomp and circumstance you know, alone. There is something that Jesus prayed would happen that people would know that God sent him. That they may be as one. And the glory you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Here's our text verse, our main text verse. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and that you love them as you have loved me. 
Now that passage there in verse 23 um, says, uh, it's like the, the, the English is a little bit, uh, a little bit unwieldy there um, because, you know, the, the, you know, it's, you know, the translation is great, but, you know, sometimes the, you know, the, the, it can be harder to understand exactly what is going on. Verse 23, he says, that they may be made perfect in one. It's not, you know, that they may be perfect in one. What does that mean? Uh, in ESV, it says that they may be perfectly one. Does that make a little more sense? That they may be perfectly one. Another translation says, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Now, the, uh, the Greek word here is hes, heis, um, and it's, it's more than just like the number one. It also has, you know, secondary, um, you know, uh, definitions and implications. Uh, a couple of them are this. Um, when he says that you may be perfectly one, that you, the body, may be one, um, this word also means opposed to any division of parts. Isn't that good? That you, like he said, that they can see me and they know that I, that I am who I said I was and that I really was sent by God. I was more than just a man who, was, who died and was buried. That, that they may know, that the world may know that I was sent from God and I was the Son of God made manifest among men. Um, this is what they need to see. They need to see this, that you in the body are perfectly one. That you are opposed to any division within yourselves. Wow. Unity is more than just a a little Christian buzzword. It is absolutely essential. As long as we have that, there is no demonic entourage in hell, no, no, no group, no anything that can stand against us, that can tear this church down, as long as it remains perfectly one in unity. Verse 24 says, Father, I desire... That they also, whom you have, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me. Now that doesn't sound like anything less than Trinitarian doctrine. You ever stop to think about that? You're just like, really? He's praying to God. And he's saying, because you loved me. Clearly, they're, they're, it's, it's something more than just wearing different hats and manifesting yourself in different, in different places and ways. He's saying, God, Father, you loved me. It's a big deal. Before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, and the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Amen. So now I want to give you just very briefly three things that he prayed for us, right? Jesus um, prays three distinct things for the disciples, and then he prays, you know, in the next passage of Scripture, you know, at the very end of this, um, he will pray three, um, well, really he'll pray for the same thing in three different ways. Number one, he says, Lord, I'm praying for these guys. I'm praying for New Life Church. I'm praying for these families. I'm praying for this group of people who've been anointed and called to a purpose, to a season. Right now, this is, this is our season. This is when we were meant to be on the earth. This is when we were supposed to declare his name and be in unity and do the work of him who sent us. This is our time, right? 
And he is praying for us in this time. And this is what he prays over us. That they may be one in us. Unity with God, number one. Unity with God. Just as the Father and Son are in unity. Number two. Unity for the sake of the world. Only when the body of Christ is unified together can the world know that we really are at unity with God in the first place. Amen? We've we got to back that up and then and hit it again real quick. We, you, you understand that the first thing that Christ wants out of us is that we be unified with God, right? We be on God. You, you, together with God, in love with God, in tune with his purpose, us and God together, it's so tightly knit, not just distant acquaintances, not just someone who are even friends, but, but Jesus is saying, no, no, I, like, like you know how me and God are literally one, like we, we, we are the triune Godhead, and, you know, we are distinct, but we are one, that's what I want for you and God. We want you to be part of this. We want, we, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to be unified in purpose with God. That's a big deal. So that's what he wants. And number two, he said, I want you to be unified together. However, the only way for the world to even ever understand that we have that unity with God that I'm preaching about is if we're unified together. Because if they don't see us together, if they don't see us on the same team, if they see us you know, causing division and, and, and going back and forth, and there's just obviously like you know, cliques beginning to form and problematic you know, schisms of opinion and people are being hateful one to another and then barriers are being built and all these terrible things are happening, then what the world sees, which should have been God, is now marred with the discoloration of division. And, the, and we have robbed them of a clear line of sight to the only thing that can change them and deliver them and save them. That is the price of division. Unity for the sake of the world. If you can't find no other reason to get along with somebody, do it for the lost. If you, if you look, at, if you look at, at this boy and you say, I, or this girl, and you say, I, I can't see a thing about a man that just, just doesn't drive me up the wall. You know, if you, amen, whether you, whatever kind of relationship. This girl, I just, I just, oh, you know. I, if you can't see any other reason to get along and to have grace, do it for the lost. Amen? We must humble ourselves before the Lord. And then be peacemakers, seeking peace with all men. Amen? For the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the lost. Lastly, number C, eternal and complete unity. This is a good one. And Sandy was talking, um, you know, she gave her very brief testimony um, before, the, uh, before service started about her, you know, precious family member who's gone on to be with the Lord. Um, but praise God, went on. And to be with the Lord, don't always, it, one doesn't always follow the other in that testimony. So praise God for that because, we, you know, she had accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior and she went on to be uh, with God. We're all going to go someday. Amen. Eternal and complete unity. This is the last thing that Jesus prays. That they may be with me where I am. Now, Jesus already had that with the disciples currently, right? 
So he wasn't worried about that. He wasn't really praying for that because, honestly, they were driving him nuts anyway, and he couldn't even take a nap in the boat. Like, you know, you know he, like the, the, he, he, he had, can you imagine? Just like traveling with, you know, these 12 sweaty guys all the time, you know, just close quarters, traveling, um, you know, in desert climate, all the time in his face with the worst questions sometimes. Just constantly, constantly. And even when he wasn't around, even when them, sometimes that was the one thing that was keeping him safe. And then he would go into crowds of people, a lot of whom were sick, you know, talking like sick, sick, you know. When I say sick, sick, I mean like stuff falling off him. Yeah. You're not getting it, so I'm going to go as far as I have to go. Um, Isn't that a horrible thing to say, Mom? Stuff falling off them. Yeah, lepers. People people who were terribly sick. People who were in awful shape. Always around them all the time. Yet he constantly loved and was able to pour out and love them and cared about them. Healed the sick. Never tired of them. You know, sometimes he stepped back, as we all need to do sometimes, and take a little bit of rest. That way we're more effective. Because if you burn the candle at both ends long enough, um, you are now ineffective. You have no light. You got to trim the wick. You've got to manage that. You know, sometimes we have to manage our own energy and our bandwidth. I've been saying that a lot. Um, our, our, your bandwidth. That means how much you have to give. Because I've seen a lot of churches before um, not manage their bandwidth properly and be very ineffective. I have. And I'm sure you probably have too. Um, you, you, you have to focus on what is important, what is life-giving, what is true, um, what is kingdom effective, and then put your energy and all your eggs into that basket, not a bunch of you know, regular other baskets that maybe sound good or you know, they're good, well-intended, but they don't do anything for anybody. Amen. You've got to manage that. Jesus was good at managing that because sometimes he would, he would get away for a little while and he would rest. Sometimes he would go on the mountain alone. Here's a word for you right here. You ready? This is Pastor Robert Morris. been quoting him. Uh, I want to get it right, though. Um, there, okay, here, there is a difference between solitude and isolation. There's a difference between solitude and isolation. They sound like the same thing. They're not. Um, solitude is getting alone with God. Isolation is getting alone by yourself. One is healthy. One is good. One is honestly very life-giving to get alone with God. You need that sometimes because there are things that he will say to you, that he will download in you, that he will love you, and he will give you that no one else in the world. He can recharge your spiritual battery. You know, Praying alone in your prayer closet or just taking time in the Holy Spirit, he will recharge that thing like nothing else and no one else can or will. Right? Now what the prophet Elijah tried to do was isolation. And next thing you know, he is suicidal. He, he is alone with his own negative thoughts and negative patterns of thought. And, and he ain't gone to church in three weeks. And now he is feeling you know, just like no one cares. And he's feeling isolated. He, does, he feels like nobody loves him or cares about him. Um, that's, no, that's no bueno. That is an opportunity for your own mind and your own flesh to take over and to, and to take you down dark roads. But solitude is when you get alone with God. That's different. You should do that from time to time, but never forsake the assembling together of your church family. Amen? Now, we, a lot of people got different work schedules. 
A lot of people, you know, people get sick, people go on vacation, which is another form, can be another form of solitude that you need. Amen? But if you're looking for strength, things happen in his house. Spiritual things happen in his house that won't happen anywhere else. Amen? We need it. We need it. Jesus knew the difference between solitude and isolation. And we should too. But lastly, his prayer was eternal and complete unity. He had the disciples. They were all over him. It wasn't about that. But this part of the prayer isn't for the disciples, you remember. It's for the believers to come who will become believers by the preaching of the disciples and the disciples' disciples and the disciples' disciples' disciples on throughout the ages. This is his prayer. So you see, he has one focus. Like at the, the very first one, when he's praying over the disciples, he's like, I want joy, I want protection, you know, I want these different things. But whenever he's talking about New Life Church, whenever he's talking about the church as a whole, all of us, um, you know, in this modern day, he is praying for one thing in three different ways. Unity. 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 He says, oh, God, oh, Father, I know that they must have and maintain Unity so that they can be at one with God. And I know that they must, must, must have unity so that the world can see or else the world has no hope. And God, I pray for them to be where I am. He wanted unity. He wanted someday to be with us all together in heaven. Unity, unity, unity. Amen. That is paramount. It is so important. And it must be protected. Um, I think Sister Polly shared this, and I think she shared it from Brother Parker, who got it from, I think, another writer. So we don't know where it came from at this point, but it was really good. What I think you shared in the adult Sunday school class about how you do not naturally gravitate toward holiness, right? That was a really, that was a good, that was a good, that was my jam. That was a good one. That was a really good uh, bit of writing. Nobody gravitates toward doing the right thing. Now, today, I, uh, I, I had to get three bags of chicken feed, and there, the two were on top, and I'd stacked and stacked and stacked, had all this stuff, you know, at the, at the place, and then at the, uh, you know, we checked out, and she said, you know, she checked those two, and I was, and I, th- I thought there was two. And then I went and, you know, paid, and paid my bill, went on out. And then, oh, lo and behold, there was a third one at the bottom. You know? And I know, I know a lot of people will be like, well, bless God, ain't he good? No, you bad. <laughs> now, he is good, but, <laughs> but you bad. <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He hath multiplied <laughs> my chicken supply. No, he did not. I stole it without understanding or without knowing that it was there. And so I looked at it like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, and I naturally went through the process. And don't act like you have never done it either. I said, you know, oh, awesome, it's there. Oh, yeah, all right. And so I go back in, and the lady said, I really appreciate that. Not very many people would do that, would come back in. You know, I, it was my fault. I miscounted. I didn't see it. And I looked at my receipt and said, well, you know, it's the right thing to do. You know, and that's what Jesus would do. And uh, went in there to be, and could be a witness. Yeah, 12 bucks poorer, but a witness. 
And doesn't that matter so much more? So what I'm saying is we don't naturally gravitate toward doing that in our flesh, right? That's not a flesh move. That's a spiritual move. You know, the flesh doesn't care. The flesh is selfish. The flesh is rotten. I see the flesh manifest, you know, in my dogs, you know, when they fight. And today I had a bone for each one of them, not three for Christmas and none for Addie and Daphne. That was not the plan, but that quickly became the plan because, you know, she comes in there, she's big, and just stole them all, put them in a pile. And the other girls were just sitting back like that. Yeah, I know. So I had to separate them out, make sure they got their, their own. But that's just, that's, that's flesh, right? And we have a flesh nature to do that, you know, to be selfish, to be lustful, to be uncaring, to be self-focused. Yes, you do. And even whenever we're saved and we're being sanctified through, you know, through the, the reading and the adherence to the word, we still have to push that flesh down and bring it into submission every day. You don't naturally gravitate toward holiness. Let me end with this. You're good. You got the night off. You don't, a church does not gravitate toward unity. Amen. I was talking to a good friend of mine about how important it was to protect unity. It is not something that we just fall into. There's a price tag to unity. And you know what that is? Pride. Unity costs pride. How much of ourselves are we willing to give up in order to see unity thrive? And if we see the church unified, then the lost can be saved. Amen? Ourselves out of the way. Less of me and more of you, Lord. You know why? Not just because that song rhymed, because there's only a finite amount of room. Isn't that interesting? There's only so much room, and the more that we have of God, the less room there is for us, for our egos, for our preferences, for our, for our pride. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's a daily challenge for us all. However, the unity of this beautiful body of Christ is worth protecting. Amen? Amen. And it is under siege. It is being attacked from every direction. I'm talking to so many pastors on, on, you know, almost on a weekly basis about the, what is going on in our nation, how it's just ripping, ripping ministries apart. You know? And I'm talking about big stuff. I ain't talking about, you know, all, all, the, all the little, you know, all the Facebook memes and shares and everything. I'm talking about spiritual damage to kingdom-commissioned bodies of Christ. I'm talking about generational trauma and the derailing of God's plan over churches. Division, hurt feelings, anger and bitterness taking hold and root. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. The landscape of our nation, mandates that are being you know, passed and opinions that are being shared constantly. If I see one more, if I see one more shared, one more opinion, one more unsolicited opinion on, you know, on you know, whatever, 
on Crunchy Mom 303's take on the latest, you know, <laughs> what numbers. I'm like, oh, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> yeah, can't take no more of it. However, it is a very real thing. And so here's what we have to do. We have got to be unified. We've got to be humble. Or else we will allow these transient forces to rip apart the unity that God has given us and that we are supposed to protect at all costs so that we can be kingdom effective, right? So here's how we do that. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not always mean uniformity. It doesn't mean that you do the exact thing you wear, that you, co- you all comb your hair on the same side, you know, or, or you spike it up you know, to the same. It doesn't matter on some of these things, but what, what does matter is, is humility and understanding and grace, one with another. Consideration, one to another. Amen? Now, if we will arm and armor ourselves with these traits, then we'll be all right. And our church will come through on the other side of this difficult and confusing time, thriving in the gospel.